Hi, it's Brian. Thank you for joining us once again on Heart to Heart. This episode features Atlanta agent Tom Milam from the People Store. Hailing from the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, Tom brings to the table his rich and truly varied industry experience. Working in New York, Los Angeles, and now established in Atlanta as the People Store's co-head of the film and TV department. Tom knows firsthand what separates Atlanta from the rest of the industry, and he explains how you don't have to sacrifice having a good life to pursue your dreams. Now, before you listen, you've got to grab our backstage pass because it is packed with Tom's top tips, insider advice, and additional resources that will give you a competitive edge. You can grab the backstage pass by going to podcastbackstagepass.com. What's the beginning of your of your industry story? Like, how did you get into the entertainment industry? I grew up doing community theater in uh, the Gulf Coast of Mississippi and always loved it. I loved the rehearsal process more than I liked performing. Okay, so we had open auditions, like no matter if we were doing Biloxi Little Theater, if we were doing KNS, we were doing the other one that I can't remember. But if we were doing one, it was always open auditions. So everybody would always um, watch each other. And I would be fascinated by who got callbacks or who got cast from seeing the open audition. And then that always fascinated me. And then when I went to college, uh, the same thing, we were open auditions and it would always just fascinate me by what people chose and what they would do and then uh, who would make the show. I started getting interested in casting really early, but then got the like the agency bug when the agent bug when I was in college because a friend of mine who had booked who's afraid of Virginia Woolf and she wasn't really the physical type for Martha and what school uh, I went to the University of Mississippi okay so yeah it's an Ole Miss well-known theater department <laughs> Um, our most well, I think our most well-known alumni didn't even pass his jury his year, but this one, um, actress Lynn, she had booked Martha and people were like, I don't know. I was like, she's going to be able to act it. I was like, she can act the hell out of it. She's going to do amazing. I was like, so they just got to put some padding on because of that. She would always be like, if you're ever an agent, let me know. She was like, you should be an agent that kind of like stuck in the back of my mind. And there was this TV show on Showtime called Beggars and Choosers, which came out, uh, I think, in 2000. And it was set in a fictional network. It showed an agent, casting director, like all the things that go into doing a show. And I was fascinated. I loved it. I knew I was going to go one of the ways. And around the same time, a former vice president of William Morris, um, Sam Haspel, was alumni for Ole Miss, not of the theater department of the law school he came back to talk and hearing him speak made me go okay no agency's the route i want to go so that's what i did uh i moved to new york in 2002 was that right out of college or pretty Uh, no i took uh a year like a year and a half off okay what'd you do in that year and a half tom i work at ruby tuesday's biloxi Oh, my God. I love Ruby Tuesdays growing up. You know, oh, yeah. You know what, Tom? I, I tell everybody, if you want to learn business, you got to work in the restaurant business. Oh, if you want to be able to deal with people, you got to yeah. do the service industry because yes. you see the best and the worst of people. Yes, you do. 
And especially out of Ruby Tuesdays in Biloxi, Mississippi, you really learn the best and the worst of people. <laughs> well, can you can you give give me a, a recollection of uh, one thing from way back when at Ruby Tuesdays that you learned that's carried with you till today? Oh God! About people. Oh, I know. Outsmile them. Like I've I've heard it put better, but you got to outkeen some people. You know, you've got to outact the actor is what it became, but you've got to really just do the work and get your hands dirty and not have an ego and just go. That's the one big thing I learned from Ruby Tuesdays was, I mean, we had to do trash inspection and like I did dish pit a few days. So I learned like just leave your ego at the door and get the job done. And if you're with a team, you try to pull up the slowest member of the team. If you can't, you just cut them off and run as quick as possible uh, and just like get it done. And your regulars are where you make your money. And would you say it's true, Tom, that people tend to like to complain, but very rarely do you see them go out of their way to give a compliment? I mean, the compliments come, but not nearly as often as the complaints. Oh, no. Yeah. Complaints are easy because people like to wield that little power. Compliments are like a, are really hard to come by because, you know, if you're good at your job, they expect you to be good at your job. So they don't compliment you if you're good. They only say if you're bad. <laughs> I find that in everything. Is, you know, you're right. I, I, I agree. Yeah. But isn't it nice when you hear that little, that person who goes out of the way and say, hey, Tom, that was really great what you did today. Oh, no, that is always very nice. Always nice. Uh, I just came to realize that like, if you're, good and competent at your job and you do a really good job quite often, then uh, people come to expect that. So they don't offer you the praise. They just are like, oh, that's just what they do. <laughs> yep. So so then you moved to New York after a year and a mm -hmm. half. Of so, so your first impression of New York when you got there, because it is a tough slap in the face sometimes. Especially from Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it did not hit me for like six months that I was in, like I was living in New York. How'd you find your first place? We had gone up, my parents took me up a little early. I moved in October, so I think they took me up in August. We did like New York apartments or whatever, Manhattan apartments or who, one of those broker things that had like people um, and just did that and just searched and searched and searched. And of course the apartment I find was more expensive than it, than any of us had planned on. But after seeing all the other apartments was the only one my mother would let me live in. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. Where was it? Like what neighborhood? It was on 5th between Broadway and... Wait, no. It was on 32nd between 5th and Madison. Oh, oh that's, that's a very nice neighborhood. Yeah, that's a good neighborhood. Oh, it really was. It really was. There was a... Uh, it was like Little Korea adjacent. There was a... Indian town's not too far. Indian Row. Yeah. Yeah. But it was Little Korea adjacent, and there was a karaoke place right next to my apartment. I was on uh, the eighth floor, but because I was a smoker, my door was, my window was always open. So for one whole summer, I could phonetically sing dirty in Korean. <laughs> could not do it now, but I could do it then. So then you moved to New York and then how did your, uh, you know, agency kind of journey start? Ended up interning at the Telsey office. Um, and I was there for, I think, six months. 
Were they 28th Street then, or were they? Oh no, they were on 28th Street then. Yeah, they were still um, well cast for food in the place. Tada Theater. Yes. When I was there, it was Never Gonna Dance, Hairspray's First National, Wicked, Taboo, Tarzan's very first experimental workshop, and then the and then they did the pilot for Whoopi while I was there, but a whole lot of commercials. And I got to see a lot of things and was introduced to a gazillion, like an amazing array of uh, talent. When my dad was like, you need to stop your internship. You need to go get a job. Uh, I was like, well, okay. And because I knew all of those names from seeing them at Telsey, when I, uh, no casting office was hiring when I left my internship, it was all agency. So I ended up interviewing with a bunch of different agencies but I could name their top commercial bookers when I walked into CSD and listed their top commercial bookers. I like it. I just got the job. It was very helpful. It was lovely. And then I was at CSD. That's what started the agency route for me. And then from there, how did you, you know, like, how did you kind of progress into your kind of the, the big wig status at Henderson? Hogan? Oh, huh. I did uh, two and a half years at CSD. And it was amazing. For commercials? Commercials. Commercials. I was on camera assistant for adults. And then I was in the beauty division for like six months, but I don't really talk about it. Hey, Tom, at that time, was Laylee Olfat there or was that like before her? No. No. uh -uh. And Angela DePini, was she she gone or was she alive? She had, she was gone by that. I was there when CED turned into CESD. Gotcha. Um, I was literally there for the changeover. I was in the beauty division and that was not a good fit. I loved my bosses. I loved the agents I worked for. I couldn't deal with models. It was not a good fit. Um, <laughs> so I left and then became the casting director for the Onion News Network for a year. Hey, wait a second. How'd you get the, how'd you get the Onion? Was that in New, in New York? It was in New York. Uh-huh. Okay. Was, um, we were down uh, by Donna DeSetta's old office on like around Spring Street and Broadway. Yeah, that's and right. It was great. It was a lot of fun. I would help do there. And, you know, we cast a slate, then we shot the slate, then we took two weeks off, then we came back. Uh, I was on a production schedule for an entire year. So I got really, really skinny, worked all, like ridiculous amounts of time. And then uh, my contract was up in December. Satire and I do not get along the best because I really have to know what you're satirizing for me to understand the jokes and everything. I really have to know, like, what are you satirizing right now? And sometimes with The Onion, I was really slow getting the joke or understanding what the piece was um, because I make it big, make it fast, make it funny, which isn't exactly their style. It took me a little longer sometimes I did not like that personally for myself. I was like, I'm not doing my best work. I'm not in it as well as I should. So when my year was over, um, I did not resign my contract, um, not knowing that the writer's strike was in full bloom because this was in 2007 and 2008. I left The Onion being like, I'll be able to find a job. And then no, no, I couldn't. Hey, it's Brian. I'm dropping in on an important announcement. What you need to know is you have more control over your career than you think. The thing standing between you and the career you want is your connections. And that's where one-on-one Next Level comes in. 
If you are not a member yet, you can apply to join at oneononenextlevel.com. Press pause and do that now. If you are already a member and you are ready to get back on track, we want to invite you to book a strategy session with us led by myself personally. We will help you prioritize which classes make the most sense given your career goals. You can find these under the resource hub in your account portal. We can't wait to hear your success story. So now we just left the onion. We're kind of like, what am I going to do now? And there's so a, now what? There's a writer's and there's strike. a writer's strike. Yeah. There's a writer's strike. So um, I worked at a comic book store. So it was because you had difficulty, like you couldn't, there were like no Oh, there was, no one was hiring. And I put my resume out to a few places. And one of the agents at Henderson Hogan, um, David Cash, was there. I'd worked with him at CESD. And he was like, are you still looking for a job? And I was like, I am. And he goes, okay, our assistant just put in there two weeks. And he was like, can you, I was like, I, I, how, when do you need me? Um, so I went, I think that same day, did my interview, got hired the next day and was there like that next Monday. And then was there for six, like six, almost seven years, I think. I'm really bad with math. But you know what's interesting, Tom? That one part when you were working at the store and then, you know, he said, uh, hey, we have this opening. You're like, when can I come in? And you're coming in that day. I think that isolated event is the difference between people who succeed and who have some issues succeeding because you have to pounce the way you did. Oh, yeah. When you want something, you got to go for it. There you go. I wanted that job. So I went in and got it. And then there for the rest of my time in New York. So seven years. Yeah, it was like six to seven years. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So now this is the the juicy part. It's what made you, you know, uh, move down to Atlanta over to People Store. How did that from, from New York? How did that transition come to be? So I'm very open about this. My mom passed in 2012. In fact, Saturday was 11 years. So she passed in 2012, and I went down for the funeral. Went down, came back, and it was in pilot season. And this was when pilot season was like pilot season. So I didn't really get any time to, uh, other than that week uh, that I was home for like the funeral and getting everything straightened up. I didn't really have a time to mourn or heal or anything. I was having to do that on the weekends or after hours because also the day of my mother's funeral is um, the day, no, wait, day before is when David left to go to Nicolosi. We had an agent go down and the, I had to come up and pick up a lot of additional work. So I just did basically two years without really dealing with what I need to deal with. I got diagnosed and put on medication for severe uh, depression in 20, yeah, starting in 2014, they put me back on my meds. I'd been on and off them in high school, well, no, in college, and then as an adult. They put me back on my meds. I started going into therapy. The therapist was like, let's take you off your meds. But they didn't wean me off my meds. They just took me off. Earlier in my life, that was not a problem. This time, it was a big problem. Um, and it shifted everything. So I needed a break. My brother and sister-in-law uh, were in Long Island because my brother had was working for West Marine at the time and had been transferred to their store in West Islip, um, which is great because I had family and they were close to me and we hung out all the time. But my brother got got promoted again and was coming to Atlanta. So 
I was at the end of a rapidly fraying rope. My family had talked about it without me knowing about it. And then I was talking about it without my family knowing about it. And then we all just said, hey, why doesn't Tom go to Atlanta? That's what I did. My landlord at my apartment had decided he wanted to charge a lot more money for my apartment and in, then, New York. in New York. And then the thing, the stuff I was going through. So it all kind of like dovetailed perfectly to like get the H out. So I did. And then I just came down to Atlanta and worked at Ted's Montana Grill East Cobb. I went back to my waiting roots. Wow. For like a year. So I could work on myself, get myself back to a healthy place. As I was doing that, my love for the business started coming back and like my fight started coming back and my, uh, all my energy did. So I would be talking with friends of mine from New York. They would, you know, once or twice people would be like, you should get into it in Atlanta because it's there, it's busy. Took about a complete year for me to um, put my stuff out. I dipped my toe in it by helping a casting director here do like session for two days. Then I realized uh, that the Southeast is predominantly self-tamed. So I was like, I don't want to be a casting director that just watches tape all the time. Like I want to be in the room. So I took notes on who had been in the room that I really liked. And I sent out my resume to those agencies. And within 45 minutes, I had three meetings. Um, I was like, well, hello. Um, and then I went and met the different offices and people store was the one that spoke my language. They have the same work ethic I do. So, uh, and they see talent, uh, the way I do. So I was just like, let's go there. And I did. And then for two years while here, I, st- I worked, uh, seven days a week, um, between here and the restaurant I had no, I had like maybe five days off in two years. It was insane. I was not a nice person. Why did you keep your restaurant job even when you started at People Store? Uh, because I had to make my living. And then because I was having to reestablish myself as, you know, I had to buy a car, I had to get an apartment, had to, I had nothing when I came here except for a smile and a really good sense of humor. So I was like, let's just do this. So I had to like rebuild everything. I got my car within six months, but after that, it was, you know, I had to get an apartment and do all of that. So, uh, yeah, I worked for two years, seven days a week. It was crazy. It is. Wow. That's, that is. And now you are like, aren't you like the head of TV? I am. I'm the head of film and television. Yeah. Well, because I worked my butt off, even doing seven days a week, my work didn't slip at the office. So. And when did you start it? Was it 2017 or 2018? No, I started here in 2015 2015 okay uh-huh. so since 2015 have, have you seen have you seen a big growth in atlanta oh my gosh yes yes i left the other job labor day weekend in 2017 once i did that my life became a lot easier but uh, i was able to do that because we got so many things it was so busy and it was so there were so many things shooting and everything that I, it was easier for me to just do one job so it was lovely would you say that's the year that Atlanta really in in your since you've been there 2017 was that a coincidence was that was that when you feel like Atlanta you know Atlanta would have been doing fine but it didn't really blow up Yeah I think 2016 into 2017 is when it really just like exploded And what do you think it was 
I want to say Ozark, and it was Netflix landing here. It was uh-huh. Ozark was my first really big pilot or job that I had here. I would say it would be Ozark and Stranger Things really just slammed it home for Atlanta. Yes. And yes. of course, you know, Vampire Diaries and um, Walking Dead and the originals, the Tyler Perry stuff that had been here and was establishing, it was established and meant they were players, but it was really getting those two huge hits that did it. Like Marvel was already here, but they hadn't like put their, they hadn't set up shop here. And now they're, you know, here. Netflix pretty much came in and set up shop. Uh, because of that, it just started exploding. And that's when that's when we we, we were like, hey, Tom, you're in Atlanta. Like, yeah. Come on back, we're here too. Yeah. <laughs> it, Tom, it seems like Atlanta, you could uh, make a case for having more TV film than in New York, that area. However, and maybe I'm wrong here, Tom, you know more than me. It seems like New York has a lot more actors living there just because it's, in New York than living in the in the Atlanta area. Would you say that's true or not true? I would say it's probably true. Uh, New York probably has a higher concentration of actors, mainly, I think, because theater plays such a huge part in New York, where Atlanta and the Southeast in general is pretty much TV film. I mean, we have some great regional theaters here, but it's hands off for agents. So if you want to do if you want to do TV film and you want to do theater as well, you have to live in New York. So I think that's a big draw for people still. Besides, uh, you know, the market in Atlanta growing and exploding the last few years, I feel like people store it like, you know, it was always like one of the uh, top agencies in the Southeast. But definitely now it's you know considered to be, you know, the, the, the cream of the crop. Um, I'm just curious if you can share a little bit about like your magic and like what makes what do you think makes you guys, you know, one of the top places that actors want to be repped at. Well, it's Brendan and Rebecca, when they created this office, were really client focused. That's how we've managed to have any and all of our successes by keeping it based on the clients. Like that, that is our secret. If you ask a casting director about our office, they usually say they're great but they, you know, they negotiate all the time or they ask for a lot of stuff or they're, you know, they bug us or they ask a ton of questions or things like, because we're really good at our jobs. Like we're thorough. We do our research. We, uh, we counter, we negotiate because we put the client at center. There's, you know, some offices down here that will openly say like their job is to make casting's life easier. That's not my job. My job is to make, I mean, yes, I want casting life to be easy and I want everyone to get along and I want it to be easy. But my job is to make sure that my client gets treated the way they should be treated and to guide their career. So because that is our focus and other offices down here don't have that same focus. That's why we stand out. That's why we rise to the top is because if you have happy clients and busy clients, you have happy, busy agents. So that's what it is. And we're all, every person that works here and in my department, in our commercial department, in operations, we're all extremely like passionate agents and about the client. So that's what sets us apart. Yeah. That it's so funny for an office that is named People Store, where you would think you go to buy people, that we aren't 
a chop shop. We aren't an assembly line. We're very like, we don't just, we're not order takers. When I first moved down here, a lot of people were like, oh, agents are just order takers. And I'm like, you've never had a good agent then. This office didn't have that reputation. We make sure we don't. We make sure that we really service our clients. I learned a ton in New York and then being here, I learned so much from Brenda, like Brenda Polly, like she's the sweetest woman on the face of the planet, but she's the sweetest woman on the face of the planet who carries a big stick. Like she gets what she wants. It was fun to hear a different way of working with people instead of me, who was like, no, I'm just a bull in a China shop. And now it's like, no, I'm just more finessed. I'm me as me, but I still, you keep the niceties. Do you feel like your uh, agenting experience in New York helped inform a lot of like, you, you feel like that was like a asset? Because I also noticed you guys have Jacqueline also, you know, mm-hmm. Nicolosi, yeah. moved down Atlanta. is that like something that you feel is like adds a little bit of, you know, oh, definitely, definitely. I think it adds a lot because in my first few years, I would have conversations with casting directors are, and I would be shocked at what would come out of their mouth. And I would be like, oh, you you haven't worked in a different market. Like someone was saying something about a rate once and I was like, no, this is a low rate for a guest star. Like, why are you? She was like, oh, this is high money here. I'm like, okay. I was like, this is nothing in a different market. And I think because of bringing in new perspectives and new um, points of view, I think that's helped tremendously in getting um, the Southeast to rise because- we're able to sit there and say, no, like a lot of the things you hear about the Southeast aren't true because we come from New York and have experience in LA. So we know that SAG rules carry over the entire country. There is no SAG scale for the Southeast because SAG scale is SAG scale across the country. Like it's having someone uh, on staff and now having two people on staff from New York has helped tremendously. Nobody does special programs like one-on-one next level. It's where we really help actors shine. I'm Emilio. I signed with my Southeast agent right after the Atlanta trip. And now I'm auditioning several times every month. And you know, I almost didn't do the Atlanta trip because I thought it was just another cash grab. I can tell you from experience that it's not. That's not how one-on-one next level rolls. And here we are six months later, and I already booked my first job with my Atlanta agent. I'm Rebecca, and the Bridge program demystified the industry for me. It gave me the platform to get off book in under 10 minutes. I met 60 new artists that are now all a part of my community, and I even signed with a manager. I have never walked away from a program so confident in my abilities. I'm so grateful for One on One Next Level. My name is Capenna, and I can finally call myself a working actor after participating in the LA Super Showcase. I had just moved to LA and I felt stuck. I came across the LA Super Showcase and let me tell you, it was a life-changing experience. I signed with an agent and since then, I've been auditioning for series regulars and booked my first TV job. I finally feel like I made it to the next level, thanks to One-on-One Next Level. In the next 12 months, One-on-One Next Level will host 27 special programs bringing you unmatched, exclusive access to industry connections. Special programs aren't just a one-and-done class. Instead, they're designed to accomplish in a weekend what it takes most actors months, even years to do. So whether you want to get repped in a smaller market like Atlanta, bypass casting directors and connect directly with TV showrunners and decision makers, or spend a weekend meeting a bunch of musical theater industry professionals in New York City, 
You have to become a member to be eligible to sign up for our special program. To apply, go to www.1on1nextlevel.com. We can't wait to hear your success story. I've talked to a lot of people who say they love living in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Uh, I get off the plane, travel to the hotel, see a busy highway, flat land. And I'm saying to myself, let's hear what the secret sauce, what's everybody's telling me they love living in Atlanta besides the work. What, what do you love living in Atlanta? What, what, what's, what's, uh, what about Atlanta makes so many people say this? I have a, I have a three bedroom, two bath home on half an acre. And my mortgage is less than the rent I was paying in New York. Gotcha. So that's a big draw. Yes. And then, um, also it's out of property. Yeah. I mean, being able to have your own home is great, but then the creature comforts of the Southeast are amazing because even an apartment that is, you know, $900 a month for like a one bedroom, like studio, you're still going to have a washer and dryer. You're still going to have a dishwasher. You're going to have central air. Those creature comforts really make an impact and being able to go into a grocery store and fit two buggies going down an aisle instead of just one is a huge, you know, that's a big step up because the key foods, my good goodness, <laughs> key foods in Astoria, you'd have a standoff. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm going, no, it's me. But it, a lot of it is, it's the creature comforts. It's the being able to have a good life while still trying, while still pursuing your dreams because They've got, you know, good schools, good. Uh, if you go four hours one way, you're in the mountains. If you go four hours another way, you're at the beach. We're just very well located. I always say that Atlanta is the perfect blend of New York and L.A. Oh, yeah. It's the perfect blend of the two because you have the life you would have in L.A., because except you don't have to um, strap a refrigerator to your back. You've got your car, you've got an apartment that's got everything you need on it that's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. And it's bigger. It's probably bigger. It is bigger. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, you have space and everything's a little spread out and you can still do what you want to do. That's like a huge thing was when I started realizing like, wait a second, I can live here and do what I love to do. That like hits you in a different way sometimes. Uh, We've had a few... um, like I have a few friends that were clients in New York that have moved down and they can't stop talking about how their quality of life is so much better. A lot of people say that. Yeah. Yeah. Now the work, it balances out. You're not doing as you don't do uh, as many in the rooms here, but because your activity is so high because of self tape, you're auditioning and then you're having a great life outside of that room. So I think it's a good combo of the two. And there's enough like theater here to keep people um, who need that itch scratched. And speaking of the work, like what, let's say, you know, an actor just finished the conservatory program, they're 22, 23. Uh, I've listened to to your talk accident. You would would encourage them to move to Atlanta before exploring New York and LA, is that correct? That's what I would say, because it's, it's easier here for an actor just starting out to get some credits. I mean, that's all dependent on a bunch of things, but 
in general, it's so much easier because the activity is so much higher because you're self-taping. And would you say also you're a bigger fish in a smaller pond? I would say the pond size is probably getting to be the same size as New York or LA, but the size of the fish, I think you do come in a little bit bigger because nice. you, know, train, you know, training is training is training. So you're coming out of a conservatory, you're coming out of any kind of training. It's good because that does give you a leg up. And how does, let's say, you know, an actor, they're, they're interested in being rough by, you know, like someone as illustrious as you, any tips on how, like how they can get your attention and, you know, what, what gets your attention when, you know, looking at potential actors? I mean, for me, it all lives and dies on, you know, the talent, but, you know, do you have a good look? Do you have good materials? Uh, My office is a referral only office. So do you have a referral sending your materials? All of those things are how you get my attention. So I'm a huge hard copy person. Huge. Like, if you send me a hard copy, I'm going to like you a little bit more because that means you actually put in a little bit more effort, you know? People don't understand. I'm like, when I say things, like, if I say, oh, send me a hard copy, I'm seeing if you're going to do what I'm asking you to do. That's right. I want to pause there. Because we, we hit that hard on our Atlanta trip and, you know, and so many people don't listen. They go, so Tom doesn't want us to contact him. It has his mailing address. We go, no, use his mailing address. And it, there's like a, they just don't compute. Resistance. Yeah. Or resistance because it's work. Yeah. Yeah. They don't understand it. But that's really some, a gentleman who I haven't met, like I had never met him. He had just heard about me through a um, class and he had taken uh, one or two classes at a studio down here, reached out with a hard copy and um, headshot and resume. I liked his look. I reached out that same day and I was like, hey, send me footage. That showed me that he's paying attention. It's like the referral stuff. Like if you can follow the directions on how to do a referral, you're going to be better off because that's showing the agent or the agency that you can follow directions. You know, you can think in like, go A to B. Those are all very important things and they stand out, especially for someone who handles all the Marvel projects because you gotta you gotta jump through some hoops to get those sides. So I wanna make sure you can jump through hoops to get to me. Right, exactly. Especially in the Southeast where so many of the casting offices have specific instructions for self tapes, you know, that's- it. Oh, it's, yeah. Do, do you think some people, like some actors will like, they feel like, oh, like they, they told me to do it this way, but then 90% of actors are doing it that way. So I'm on purpose going to do the opposite. Yes, because some teacher at some college <laughs> has not worked since 1985, but has told everyone do this. Mm-hmm. And because it worked for them in 1985 to help them get on, you know, Santa Barbara, but it's not going to help now. So- right. Oh, yeah. The cover letters are always hysterical. How to stand out to me is just follow the directions and just trust your talent and your look, you know, Uh, because I'm always looking for something like I might need. I, I don't know why, but like there's a huge need for Asian actors in the Southeast. So that always catches my attention first. Our diversity will always catch my attention first. But uh, if you're just like a plain, ordinary John Jane white kid, 
I'm still going to look because you sent your way, you sent your stuff the way you're supposed to. And you, you did what I asked. So I'm a big follow directions kid. You love that. So I'm a Capricorn. It's what we are. So this is our, you know, 30th anniversary podcast. And, you know, we, I always ask every single guest this question because, you know, our theme is where there's a will, there's a way because it hasn't always been easy for one-on-one next level. We've got to jump through a lot of hoops and take risks and a lot of naysayers and we're still here. Um, and I'm sure, you know, in your journey, you've, you've had to encounter the same thing. So I always ask if you can share a story or two or an example of a time when you kind of had to take a chance, a big risk where it seemed at the time against all the odds or people were saying you can't do it that way or you can't make that happen or no 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 that's not how we do it and as a result of persistence it it paid off and and voila okay i have so many of those in my life first would be you know going to new york like there were so many people who were like what do you mean you're going to move to new york and a lot of people who didn't understand that i was moving to new york not to perform but to be in the business on a different side a lot of people didn't understand that because I was extremely lucky that I had uh, my parents backing and like my entire family behind me, that was easy. But the move to Atlanta was the biggest jump for me because I literally had no idea. I was like, what am I going to do? I thought I was going to be a teacher. I thought I was going to come down here and do like, like put it. And I did, I put in my uh, application for some drama teaching um, spots didn't get a single interview, which was fine. Cause I was like, I don't have a teaching degree. <laughs> so I had no idea what I was going to do, but I just jumped. And I, uh, once I decided, Hey, I'm going to go back into the business. I just, that was a really hard decision to make for me. Like it took a lot longer and a lot more thought than I usually give it credit for because once or twice I would see someone pop up on like a law, a rerun of law and order or something. And it was literally one person uh, that used to be a client. Like I saw her and I pretty much broke out into a panic attack. And I was like, no, it's like, no, but that was my big one was getting back into the business here. And um, then purposely going, I'm going to take over that department. It was sort of mentioned in my interview, but not a lot. But being here, I figured out within my first year that most likely when Brenda was retiring, someone going to have to take that spot and it should be me. And I worked my ass off to make sure it would be. I you know, jumped through hoops. I worked literally seven days a week for two years, all because I knew my I knew what my goal was. And my goal was to be one hell of an agent and um, help elevate this market and take over, you know, become the head of film TV here, which, I mean, that was a dream when I first started was being the head of a department, but it was, I was like, I'm not going to get to be head of a department until like I'm 55 or 60. Like, you know, that's how it kind of is in New York. The fact that I'm the head of, I got head of department before I turned 45, I was like, yes, let's do this. So yeah, it's just a lot of work, but you've got to do it. You know, when I was, uh, working at Ted's, I literally would have my phone in my back pocket on vibrate. And every time I walked into the kitchen, I checked my phone, checked my email, answered any work question I had to answer for people's store, then went back out and handled my tables. I negotiated a deal in a walk-in freezer. 
I, you know, was negotiating deals in my car, answering questions, uploading tapes at three in the morning because I didn't have any other time to do it. I just got things done. And that's what you have to do sometimes. And I don't think a lot of people realize that about agents and managers, a lot of actors. They, they think uh, it's all maybe like, you know, like whatever, like the glory of it. But even on my end, like I was having a conversation like a year or two ago, like having coffee with one of the agents that attends our showcases. He's like, oh, I'm working an event this weekend. And I kind of didn't understand. He's like, oh, no, like I'm I'm, I'm a caterer as well on the side to bring in some extra income when it's tough. And I think people, you know, it's easy for actors, you know, it's a tough journey for actors. And sometimes they don't realize it's actually a tough journey for people on the other side of the table as well. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, we got to bust ass to be able to do stuff sometimes. So any actor is a hustler. And I very much respect that because sometimes you got to hustle. You got to, you know, do two jobs to be able to do what you want to do. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done it yet, grab the Backstage Pass. Don't treat this podcast as mere background entertainment. The Backstage Pass offers exclusive resources and behind-the-scenes footage that empower you to make a real impact on your career. Thank you.